like to go? And we there's Miss Lisa. Anybody from my age down? My oh. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Yes. So, let's thank Mark. All right, for helping us out this morning. We're going to look in uh, Mark chapter nine today. Continuing our, story, our study in the Gospel of Mark, and if you were with us uh, on Wednesday night, uh, we, we talked a little bit about some standing here, talking to his disciples. We're in the center of the Gospel of Mark where he asks the pointed question to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And all of this account of Jesus up to the middle of the Gospel of Mark has taken place, his miracles, his teachings, the wonderful things that, that Jesus did that he continues to have the reputation for even in our technological society today. And he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers by saying, well, some say that you're John the Baptist some say that you're one of the prophets. Some say that you're just a teacher. Some say you're a miracle worker. But then he asks Simon Peter face to face, who do you say that I am? And by the very nature of the gospel, by the very nature of Christianity, we have to answer that question. And he said two things. He said, first of all, you are the Christ. Now the Christ the anointed one of God, was in the mind of the Jews at that time, even in the mind of Peter, this emperor king, this military, economic, and political king that was going to establish the empire of Israel. A human being that is going to do that. And that's what they expected. And that's how Peter answered first. But Peter didn't just answer with this perspective of the powerful humanity of Jesus. He also went on to say, the son of the living God. Now, how would he know that? He expected a human king, a human emperor, and he was fulfilling all the prophecies from the Old Testament, from the salvation history of God in the Old Testament. But how did he know that Jesus was the Son of the living God? How did he even know there was a God? Because of something called revelation. And Paul even said to the Corinthian church, you cannot know the significance of Jesus without the revelation of God through his Holy Spirit. You can't even read the Bible as the Bible is presented to you without the enablement of that Spirit. You can interpret it intellectually, but revelation of the Spirit as you're reading the Scripture, as you understand the person of Jesus, requires the revelation of God. I don't know how it works. I just know that's the way it works. Because Jesus even said to Peter, in the book of Matthew, 
Blessed are you, Simon. The word for blessed has nothing to do with prosperity of the flesh, prosperity of your wallet. Blessed means content. It's more than just happiness. It's a peaceful life. Blessed are you, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, I lay that foundation first. In the first verse of chapter 9, as we talked about on Wednesday night, he said to him, Jesus said to, his, to Peter and the disciples, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. Now, you take someone who wants to find contradictions in the Bible and they'll use that verse. Because, wait a minute, the kingdom of God coming in power, that means the second coming of Jesus. We, we, we think kind of that way automatically in the church. And so they say, well, that's wrong. <laughs> because the disciples died before the second coming of Christ. But you've got to see this revealed to you. What is this really saying? And as I shared Wednesday night, in 30 years, the body of Christ, after Jesus died and ascended, the body of Christ reached into the Roman Empire. The kingdom of God was moving. And remember, Jesus said when you're born again, you can see the kingdom of God. When you're born again, you enter into the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is already at work. Leo Tolstoy, who wrote War and Peace, said the kingdom of God is actually in you. That you are a kingdom activist. Well, they saw the kingdom of God moving into the Roman Empire before they died. So that's, that's one of the ways that this is interpreted. Another is they saw the kingdom of God on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them and Peter began to preach and they began to see the emergence of the kingdom of God through those who, who were born again, who came into the momentum of that spirit. And the last is simply, you know what? The moment they were born again, they began to see the kingdom of God. So it wasn't about just when Jesus was going to come back. They died before that. But they didn't just die before that. They lived before that. Are you with me? Yes? Mike, are you with me? Give me a thumbs up or something. <laughs> I'm looking to you today. <laughs> So the, the, the kingdom of God is continuing to be at work from the moment in Genesis that God said, let there be light. He has not ceased to create toward the kingdom of God. And we are extensions of that creation. I am so glad that when I get up in the morning, I don't have to go to a job to simply make a living. I am so glad that in being born again, when I get up in the morning, I can consider how God is going to create through 
me in my little world, in my little space, how I'm an extension of God's creating and saving activity. And I better be in touch with him. I better be in sync with him. And I, and I know there are times when I mess up. Sometimes I just want to, want to manufacture something out of the flesh. And God is saying, how's that working for you? Your purpose for being is to be extensions of that creation, that very good creation of God that began with let there be light. And then Jesus comes. The, the very visual of Jesus Christ. Jesus. Jesus. Yeshua in Hebrew. That goes the same name as Joshua in, the, in Hebrew. That same presence that leads us toward the promised land. So Jesus, yes, that shows us the humanity of Christ. I am so glad that God can, can in some way make himself known to me in a way I can understand. That's Jesus. The ultimate revelation of God. But he's not just a teacher. Not just a prophet. Jesus is more than that. Who do you say that Jesus is? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we see Jesus is not just a historic figure. There is something about that name, as we've been singing over the past couple of weeks. And this is the Jesus that wants to be made known at this point in the Gospel of Mark. So in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. There are those that are further along in their Christian pilgrimage, perhaps, than other, the other disciples, and they happen to be Peter, James, and John. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. In other words, his identity was being revealed in its fullness. Transfigured means from this rabbi prophet to something more with their spiritual vision. That's where we need to be. We need to have our spiritual vision opened by the revelation of God that will transfigure his identity to what we tend to define him as, to who God wants to reveal him to be. Every, you know, there's a, there's a song out that, that Johnny Cash did years ago called Your Own Personal Jesus. And what we tend to do today is we tend to try to define Jesus in our image, rather than to allow Jesus to redefine us by his presence. We, can, we, we take Jesus and we manipulate so that we can, we can fashion him after what we want him to be. People do that with God, too. Rather than allowing God to recreate us, to be the person that he has defined us to be. So he's transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So there is 
a sense of glistening, of glowing that they're, that they're seeing. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So there were some people who say, well, will we know each other? Will we know each other when the kingdom comes in its fullness? Because part of the kingdom of God is you ain't seen nothing yet. Even though we can enjoy one another's company in church and there's joy uh, in being together and those wonderful things that we do, the thing next for breakfast next week, I hope you all come. All those things are wonderful. The life we live in Jesus is amazing. But we ain't seen nothing yet. So it's interesting when people ask me, well, will we we know each other? Well, they knew Moses and Elijah. And they they even had conversation. So when I talk to scientists who doubt the whole idea, atheists particularly who have no idea or don't believe in heaven, I said, well, let's talk about, let's use your terminology do you believe that there is the possibility that there is a multi-universe? So my, my little buddy, uh, Xavier, would know what that means, right? Multi-universe, yeah. Um, parallel universe? There we go. Parallel universe, that there is, there's another reality out there besides this, this reality. So when I talk to someone about heaven, ah, no, there's no such thing. There can't be any other. This is it. It's just the materialistic world. Then I have to call out, God help us if this is all there is. But, so I say, well, let's use a different terminology. What if I said parallel universe? Ah, well, maybe. What if I said another dimension of reality? Well, yeah, that's possible. What about heaven? No. No. So this could not possibly have happened. There are even people out there today that will read this, and they'll say, you know how to explain it? And this is the scientific explanation, y'all. I'm sorry, I said y'all. You don't do that when you come on this side of the river. (laughs) Here's the scientific explanation for this. Jesus was an alien. Jesus was an alien. So was this presence of Moses, and so was this presence of Elijah. And Jesus, and Steven Spielberg believes that. Steven Spielberg, with all due respect, he's an amazing director you know, out in Hollywood, but at the same time, he is a very confused Jewish man. I mean, and what he tries to do is he takes the scripture and he tries, and you'll see it every now and then in his movies. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, if you've seen that, about aliens. The mothership comes down at the end of the movie. You've seen it, Mark? Down at the end of the movie, and human beings are invited to go into this mothership. And it goes up into the heavens. You don't know where it goes, but it goes. That's Revelation chapter 1. He thinks that what he reads in Revelation is an alien ship that comes down. Even more so. Now this is really telling. 
You all see the movie E.T., the little extraterrestrial? Do you ever see that movie? It's a, it's a sweet movie. If you don't cry at the end, you, then you're halfway dead. I mean, it's, it's one of those. even has a dog. This little dog that wants to follow after the alien as when he gets back on the ship. But anyway, he's a, he's a little creature who loses his way. He comes down on Earth, loses his way. How many of you have seen it? Okay, then I won't go through all the details. So in that film, you know, home, home, E.T. phone, home, home. Remember that? <laughs> I'm sorry, I digressed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So they they add to a lot of it. But in that in that movie, you know, ET is captured. The scientists uh do all these experimental things on him. He dies and is put in a tube. Not a tomb, but he's in a tube. And you have little Elliot who is is, is one of his disciples of, of all the kids that followed him. And he's, he throws himself over the tube and he's crying. And then all of a sudden, inside that tube, because there's a glass where you can see, you see his heart, E.T.'s heart start beating again. And Elliot looks over on the side and there's, there's a sunflower that's dead, but the sunflower rises to life. And inside, E.T.'s going, home, home, E.T., home, home, because somebody's coming to get him. So, am I going too long? So, Elliot gets him out of the tube, and he takes him over out, outside, and, and, and E.T. is standing there, and he has a white robe on, a white ascension robe on. And his heart is being, and if you're a Catholic, you see that as the sign of the sacred heart. And he's holding his hands out like this, and he gets on a bicycle. Xavier, I would love, if you ever find a bike like this, or a hoverboard, back to the future. I'm, I love he's here. And, and, and you have Elliot and the other boys and E.T. In a, in a basket on the bike, and they ascend up to the mountain. An ascension to the mountain. And the mother ship comes down. And E.T. gets on board. And they all say goodbye. That's the part that it's a killer. Um, E.T. gets on and he says, "Um." goes, come on. (laughs) This is my wife, if you're a visitor. I'll be right here. I'll be right here. I will never leave you or forsake you. By the very nature of this, are they aliens? What? So, and some of you may think he is now. <laughs> there, was, there were genealogical records. There had to be. Rome demanded it. Why did Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem? Why the whole birth account? Because there had to be a census. He didn't beam down and then beam up. Star Trek, no. There was a definite birth. There was a definite record of his crucifixion because Rome was threatened 
by this kingdom of God. Jesus was not an alien. Elijah represented the prophets. Moses represented the law, the exodus. So what is it about this? Look at this. In verse 5, Peter even says again, Rabbi, and I want to say, Peter, don't you get it? But then I've been a pastor for 40 years. And I've worked with people who say, well, I know the Bible from cover to cover. And they still don't get it. Still don't know who Jesus is. That transforming power that recreates us, not to be what the world expects us to be, but who God has designed us to be. Rabbi, is it, it's good that we're here. Let's make tents. Let's just make tents for everybody. Now here's the point. Here's what I wanted to get to. Spent too long with E.T., but here's, here's what I want to get to. What was significant about Moses being there? Why not Abraham? You know, why not somebody else? What was significant about Elijah being there? Because Jesus was the fulfillment of God's salvation history that started with the law to tell us how to behave, how to regulate our behavior, to the prophets who began to teach us how to transform our character. It's not about just doing, not doing bad things. That's what the law tries to tell us. The Ten Commandments are important, yes. But it's not just about regulating the behavior of a tribal people. The prophets who progressed with God's revelation tried to teach us that it's about the transformation of our character, of our personhood, that we have to in some way fulfill the law to love God and love one another. The prophets kept reminding us of that. Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus was the revelation of that. Not just an abstract philosophy, but a spiritual phenomenon in our lives. Born again. Moses symbolized the law and the exodus, taking his people out of slavery. Elijah symbolized the prophetic message of transformation and the fact that we can be transformed. Elijah got so down and discouraged and depressed, he went into a cave to kill himself. I can't do it. And God said, come out of the cave, look across this valley, see all the dry bones, all the dead bodies in this valley? Do you think that I can breathe new life into them and they will walk in newness of life? And Elijah said, yeah, start with me. And he came out of that cave and became a dynamic prophet speaking truth to power. Why Moses? Because he's telling us we can find escape from our bondage. Our bondage to the empire. Our bondage to this world our enslavement to our sin. We can find a way out of no way. That's Moses. But you can't do it by just following the law. Why Elijah? Why the two of them? Because Elijah now tells us, yeah, here's the prophetic message. It's not just about not doing bad things. It's about being transformed by the renewing of your mind to become the nation, the, the people of God, the new humanity of God. And it can happen 
when God breathes his spirit in you. And it's not about what you achieve. It's about who, hear me, it's not about what you achieve. You're a good person, yes, but it's not about being good. Jesus says there's none good but God. It's about becoming who God has designed you to be. It's not about achieving. It's about receiving. But we've got to admit we've got to receive that. So both Moses and Elijah affirmed not just the law, not just the prophets, but the transforming power of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And that momentum that began here continues today. Back when I was a high school student, I went to a youth rally. In fact, I, I was talking to uh, the Bosals a couple of weeks ago at Moe's, and we were ta- I was talking to Evan at the time, and I said, so Evan, what, can, what do you think this church could do to connect to, to, to what you need as a teenager and, and what your friends might need? I said, there are other churches around here that are doing really good things, and they have a smorgasbord of things. I said, and I don't want to do what they do. If they do it well, attend, attend those things. I said, I don't want you to leave our church. We need you. You are needed here. But if they're doing some, some things that we can't do and they do them well, I'm not going to compete with that. I'm not going to compete for members. That's not what we're about. And he said, you know, we used to have times when we would all get to, we all know each other. We know each other from this, everybody in this county, all those kids know each other. He said, but if we don't have times when we get together. I said, wouldn't it be amazing if once a month on a Saturday night we would just call all youth from all churches together and have a big youth rally? We, that's how I came to Christ. As a teenager, we did amazing things once a month. We were off the wall. The first time I heard Jesus preached was in a youth rally with 1,200 teenagers. And the evangelist was hilarious. That's why I went. Plus, my girlfriend asked me to go. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, Rhonda. You're, you're better. So, <laughs> she'll get me later. Um, so I walk into this, into this youth rally, 1,200 students, big church, and they did this amazing thing. You think I'm off the wall sometimes with home, home. This, they, they actually had this contest with the youth. The, the youth group that brought the most friends with them to this got to hit their youth minister in the face with a pie. That's amazing. And they did it. And I'm saying, this in church? Are you kidding? And the evangelist says, yes, God created a sense of humor. Use it. We need it. That's joy. So I'm making an announcement today. Next Sunday at the breakfast, 
the person who brings the most visitors for breakfast gets to hit in the face with a pie, Don Stout. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I I wouldn't allow anybody to do. I would do that, but I wouldn't. But in that youth rally, I heard this. There was a a kid that was my age, totally blind. He had his sight at birth, but when they put him in an incubator, it burned the retinas in his eyes. I was just, I, I remember the evangelist, but I was enthralled by Tom Schill. This kid that was my age. And he got up and he shared his testimony. And he said, you know, as a teenager, yes, I wish I had sight. But I would rather, at this point in my life, have, have 20-20 spiritual vision than to see what most of my friends see every day in this world. And then he was asked to sing the invitation hymn to, to see who, who would come forward. And he said he didn't want to do that, but he would sing this. I don't do it justice. Tom was beyond words. Jesus is more than a rabbi. He is more than a prophet. He is more than the fulfillment of the Messiah of the Jews. He is the Savior of the world, of which we're all a part. And he sang this. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after time he has waited before, and now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. If you take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will end. Within your heart he'll abide. Time after time he has waited before. And now he is waiting again. To see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in.
May we pray together. Lord, I ask today...